My sermon this morning is in keeping with the theme that I've been preaching this month and it's called Trajectory. Trajectory. My first sermon was Trajectory, Where Are You Heading? The theme is Trajectory, the Kingdom of God. Hopefully that's our trajectory. And I don't just mean eternally we want to get to heaven. Our trajectory should be the kingdom of God here and now on earth. We have too many Christians, their trajectory is heaven, and they're not affecting earth on their way to heaven. Our trajectory should be the kingdom of God on earth here and now. If your trajectory is the kingdom of God here and now on earth, God will make sure you get to heaven. Hallelujah. Can I get an amen? Not because of works, lest any man should boast, but always because of the grace of God. And so uh, <clears throat> this morning my title is Incentives. Uh, we talked about the fact a couple of weeks ago when I first started this message that trajectory is a path that an object or a person is taking. They have a starting point, a, a final destination point. And we found that if you only one degree off and your goal was to get to the moon, only one degree off, you will have missed the moon by the equivalent of two extra moons. That's how far out we would be. What's your trajectory? Firstly, we know our trajectory is to live forever in eternity with God. But while we're here on earth, what is our trajectory? I don't want to be aiming for heaven and not having any effect on earth. Jesus preached a gospel that was meant to have impact and influence on the earth. Look, if we're not having influence on the earth, there's a vacuum and the kingdom of darkness will have an influence on the earth. And we could sit back and complain in our lounge chairs as we watch the news and say how bad everything is. But if we give testimony or witness to how bad everything is in the world, it is a testimony and a witness against us, the church. Because if everything is that bad in the world, what happened to the salt and the light that's in us? We are so busy getting to heaven, we're bypassing earth. It's very quiet in here. <clears throat> we'll take up the church's tithes and offerings at the end of the preaching, okay? And uh, hopefully after I finish preaching, you'll still want to give. <laughs> but what's your trajectory? If it's only eternal life, you're only on your way to heaven. And earth isn't reaping the benefit of the sons of God. But I can assure you this, earth is reaping the consequences of the demons of hell. Look, I am determined to mess up your thinking today. I, I am determined to keep you out of your comfort zone and to get you into the reality of the word of God. Amen. <clears throat> so we, we talked about um, 
being off just one degree and how if you were aiming for the moon, you'd actually miss the moon by two additional moons. We talked about how um, to stay on trajectory, uh, uh, lunar modules and docking stations have little attitude rockets that they fire so that they line up with trajectory of what the destination and the goal is. And then last week we talked about gyroscopes, how gyroscopes are used to keep things on trajectory because it has an innate, it, it, it uses the uh, laws of, of uh, inertia and gravity and keeps a resistance from anything that would pull it off target. And then I read a scripture in Matthew chapter 6, if we could put it on the screen, Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 to 20. Don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth. Dang, I got a bank account. As he's saying, don't have a bank account. As he's saying, don't have a 401k. Is he saying don't have an insurance policy? No, that's not what he's saying. He's saying don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal or as CEOs mess up your hedge fund and take the corporation into a nosedive. Let's go to the next verse. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and vermin don't destroy and where thieves don't break in and steal. And then the next verse he says, do we have the next verse? The Bible ran out of pages. <laughs> where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be also. And so <clears throat> what Jesus is talking about, if your greatest treasure is in the things that are here in this realm, that's what will have your heart. But if your greatest treasure, remember he's talking about don't store up treasures here, store them up in heaven. Does that mean you can't have a boat? No. Does that mean you can't have a nice car? No. Does that mean you can't have rental properties? Absolutely not. But whatever treasure you're storing up here, that better not be your major treasure because that's where your heart will be. I want my greatest treasure to be in the kingdom of God. Now what's interesting is, while my title is called Incentives, just like rocket attitudes get us uh, back into trajectory and gyroscopes keep us on path, okay? Uh, incentives keep us motivated. They keep us in a performance mode. How many of you enjoy when uh, your office has incentives and there are bonuses and rewards and money options? Can I, can I see a hand or two? My, you're all more spiritual than I thought. I'm packing up. <laughs> I don't need to preach this message to you guys. 
How many of you enjoy when you get a bonus or a recognition monetarily or whatever at work? Absolutely. The word treasure, when Jesus said store up treasures in heaven, the word treasure comes from the Greek word thesaurus. Now you've all heard of a thesaurus, as in it is a treasure book of words that mean the same as the word you're looking up. So if you want to look up a word or a phrase, you go to a thesaurus, especially if you're writing, and it'll give you 20, 30 other words or phrases that have a similar meaning. It is a treasure house. And so thesaurus is a treasure. It's used as a storehouse for precious things, a storehouse of treasure. Jesus said, lay up or get yourself a treasure house in heaven. Here, let me break it down. Uh, sometimes we need to just break things down uh, in, in layman terms. Jesus is saying, get yourself a big, fat bank account in heaven. When he says, don't store up treasures here on earth, is he talking about Assets, when he says don't store up treasures here on earth, is he talking about assets? Must have been a trick question. When he says don't store up treasures here on earth, he's obviously talking about wealth. He's talking about material things, okay? Treasure, storehouses. He's not saying it's wrong or sinful. He's saying don't let that be your priority. Don't let that be your major treasure. In fact, let your treasures, your storehouse, be in heaven. You would be an unwise person if you didn't have a bank account. If you're living from paycheck to paycheck, honey, you, we need to sit you down and get some counseling because the borrower is a slave to the lender. Okay, let's follow all the principles of God's word. God has not got an issue with money. If he did, he wouldn't tell you to tithe and bring offerings. God has an issue with what money can do to our heart. He has an issue with what our goals and our motives are because he wants to be the source of our lives because anything else will destroy us. Uh, Tony, I gave you a paragraph that I uh, modified from last week. Do you have that slide ready for me? Even though it's at the end of the sermon, I'm going to whack it up there on the screen. Last week I said something to this effect. I modified it to make it simpler to understand. Any treasure in your life that exceeds your love and your passion for God has already become a God to you. And that God will resist, fight, and push the Holy Spirit away so that you don't get off track from running after your counterfeit treasure. You see this treasure box? If the majority of my treasure is about this world, if the majority of my treasure is worldly things, this will be like the little box I showed you on the video last week with a gyroscope in it. This thing will pull me, and it will control me, and it will hold me. 
And the Bible actually teaches that mammon, which is a Greek word for money, it can be like a spirit. And the spirit of mammon will lead us away from the things of God. And that's why if your treasure is earthly stuff, if your treasure is this life, it will take your heart away from God. Jesus said you can't serve two masters and he was talking about money or God. He has no problem with money. He actually says, store up a fat bank account in heaven. Not convinced yet. How literal is Jesus? He says, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Let's go to 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6. Command those who are rich in this present world. Everyone immediately is going to say, well, that's not me. You know, in Proverbs it says the rich man brags that he doesn't have any money and the poor man brags that he's rich. Everyone who doesn't have money wants to dress up and look like they got money. And everyone who has money wants to make believe they don't have money. Either I'm hitting home a lot or I'm just going. <laughs> Paul writes to his protege, Timothy. He's training this guy how to think. Paul's preparing the next generation of preachers, and he's pouring into this kid, and he's training him, he's mentoring him. He said, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. You see, you see, God will give you the stuff you want, but the priority has got to be the kingdom of God. Seek first the kingdom of God and all these other things that Jesus was talking about. How you're dressed, how you drive, the, you know, the, the cars, the house. All these things will be added unto you if the things of God are priority in your life. And so he says, tell the, those that are wealthy. You know, wealth is relative. If one guy's only got five dollars... And another guy's only got five cents. The guy with five dollars is rich. Wealth is relative. So this applies to all of us because we're all wealthier than somebody. Okay? Uh, So he says, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant. Don't put your hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but put your hope in God. Hey, guys, can I get this that big on that screen? Since I'm on live streaming, I don't want to turn my back to the cameras all the time. Don't put your hope in wealth, which is uncertain, but put your hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. God wants you to have good things. God wants you to have fun. God wants you to be blessed. But he wants you to have a big account, a bigger bank account in heaven than the one you have here on earth. Can I get an amen? Yes. 
It's almost as if I got more claps that time because you're starting to realize I'm not after all your money. <laughs> Let's go to the next part of the verse. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and be generous and willing to share. You know, I didn't even get to take up the offering. And you guys, your hearts were already moving towards Jimmy and Lane. And you already wanted to do good things. And I got to tell you, as your pastor, it makes me really proud of you guys. Because that's the spirit of Christ. Now watch what he goes on to say. Let's go to the next verse. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Jesus said, store up treasures in heaven, and I could go through a ton of verses in the Gospels where Jesus says, lay up treasure in heaven, lay up treasure in heaven. Here's Paul teaching Timothy to teach the next generation and wealthy people or people who have more than the next guy to store up wealth in eternity. And that word, Thesaurus, treasure, literally means a place where you store wealth, a storehouse of riches. Now, I'm going to show you another scripture. In Matthew chapter 16, verse 27. Matthew 16, verse 27, Jesus said, For the Son of Man is going to come. How many of you believe Jesus is coming back? How many of you believe he's coming back real soon? Okay. For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and he will reward each person according to what they have done. You see, you're saved by grace, but you're rewarded by the work you do. You will never be saved by your works. We are saved by his works, but we are rewarded according to our works. Hello? Absolutely. You can't earn your salvation. Doing all these good works don't get you into heaven. You need somebody to forgive you and to get you born again and to give you a new life on the inside. All of my good works are like dirty rags in comparison to God's holiness. I need Jesus to get me saved, and now that I'm saved, I have Jesus in me to help me do good works. Can I get an amen? What's interesting is that we always interpret things in, in, in religious uh, tainted glass windows, and we don't interpret things literally, and therefore, the Word of God often doesn't have day-to-day -day application to us. This is a strategy of darkness. I want you to understand, the enemy is very clever and he knows how to play his game. He's a mastermind at strategies. I teach in Bible school uh, two weapons that are the most predominantly used in the kingdom of darkness to sabotage a church. And that is people not understanding chain of command. And so by breaking chain of command, they break divine order. And the second is the spirit of offense. 
And people get offended and they get moody and they get cranky and they get crotchety and they get very carnal. That's what he does to destroy a church. Let me tell you what he does to make a church inactive. He gets you mindful of your earthly goals and he disconnects you from the reality of your final destination. And so we read verses like this, oh, Jesus will come and reward us, and we interpret it through religious eyes, through stained glass windows. Oh, yeah, well, you know, uh, whatever that means. Let me show you what it means. Because the words that Jesus used are very important. In the Greek, the word reward, apodidomi, and it means, I will give back to you, I will return to you, I will restore to you everything you've given. Now hang on. How good of an investment is it to invest in the things of God? Do you know that God's attitude is that when you give, he will give back, pressed down, shaken together, running out all over. There isn't a hedge fund on earth that can outdo the creator of the universe. I don't know how literal you take the word of God, but I've been preaching for over 40 years, and I really have. And I can tell you that the word of God is extremely literal. And when God says, I'm going to pay you back, whatever you do here on earth, if you're doing things for me, if you're doing things for my kingdom, if you're living right, if you're helping out people that are less fortunate than you, if you're getting behind the vision of the kingdom of God through the local church, I'm going to pay you back. And God doesn't pay you a dollar for a dollar. He pays you back $10 for one dollar. Does that mean you're not convinced? There's only a few people clapped. You see... I'm not a person of phenomenal means. But when my kids were small, I wanted to teach them the, the power of saving. And so whenever it was their birthday, we would give them some birthday money, okay? And uh, we would, uh, of course, like kids, the first thing they want to do is uh, spend everything they have. If we gave them chocolates, they'd eat it all within a day, and then they had no more chocolate for the rest of the week. Or if we gave them money, they would want to spend it all straight away. So we made a goal. We wanted to teach them the importance of putting value on what they earn and learning how to save. And so we would say, okay, when we give you birthday money, if you, every dollar you keep in the bank, we'll give you another dollar for it. So if we gave them $50 or $70 for their birthday, they could actually double their money by not spending it. We wanted to teach them the, the principle of multiplication on a human level. This is what we're willing to do. But God in heaven, the Bible says he'll, he'll bless you tenfold. The Bible says he'll bless you a hundredfold. The Bible says you give to God, he'll give back, pressed down, shaken together, and then running out all over the place. And so when we're thinking about eternal investments, the best 401k that you could get, look, don't cash in your 401k. I'm not preaching against that. What I am saying is most of us are preparing ourselves for 80 years. 
What are you storing up for eternity? Jesus says, I will give back to you, pressed down, shaken together, and running out all over. He said that in Matthew. But if we turn to Revelations chapter 22, one of the very last things he says in the entire book, Revelation 22 is the last chapter, and in verse 12 he says, look, I'm coming soon. I heard that before. I think we just read it. My reward is with me, and I will give to each person according to what they have done. And you know here, this time, the word is for reward is mistos. Mistos, meaning wages, hire, recompense, salary, reward. The guy who builds streets out of gold, when he says he's going to reward me, that's the guy I want to get rewarded by. God said he's going to reward you. You know, sometimes I wonder, I do, I, I, I really wonder how literal we take the things of God. Because we work so hard for our employers. Sometimes we complain they don't pay us enough. Sometimes we're really happy because we've, we've got a good job. It's like this new guy <laughs> talking about wages and bonuses being incentives. This new guy started a job and he turned to a, a fellow employee who had been there for the last 20 years. He said, how long have you been working here? He said, ever since they threatened to fire me. Ever since they threatened to fire me. Wages are incentive. And God knows how we're created. And God says, I will reward you with wages. I will pay back. I want to tell you that we need to be more kingdom-minded and less earthly-minded. The church has preached the gospel of salvation. We're preparing people to go from here to eternity. You know what Jesus preached? The gospel of the kingdom of God. And the difference with the gospel of salvation is the gospel of salvation is just about you, getting you saved, getting you to heaven. Whereas the gospel of the kingdom of God is about how you affect everyone else on earth. what you do for Jesus, how you live your life. And I could be a church that just racks up numbers of people getting saved, and we could brag about the fact that, you know, we got 40 saved, 30 saved, 100 saved. I don't want to only get people to have a final destination called heaven. Do you know that makes a very sick church? Because while everybody's destination is heaven, their earthly life is filled with worldly things. But when we're preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God, 
The kingdom of God says you are your brother's keeper. The kingdom of God says we're working for the king and we're here to advance his kingdom. See, the gospel of salvation tells me and helps me to get to heaven. The gospel of the kingdom makes me mindful of God's kingdom here on earth and advancing the kingdom of God here on earth. Yeah. And so we become so preoccupied with the treasures here. But the problem with the treasures here, the more I have treasures here, the more it has control over my heart. The more it has control over my vision, my sight. The more I build treasure here, if that's my priority, that actually becomes another God. Any treasure that you love more passionately then God becomes a counterfeit God. And that treasure has a gyroscope in it, and it will not deviate. It will not allow you to stray from the course of destruction. Again, please hear me. I'm not saying it's wrong to have a business. I'm not saying it's wrong to be wealthy. Paul didn't tell Timothy, tell the wealthy people, to burn their bunny. He said, tell the wealthy people to be generous in good works so that they're storing up an even bigger bank account in heaven. We, we get so obsessed about what we have here. We are so conscious of going from here to heaven. No, I want to go from here. And on my way to heaven, I want to terrorize the kingdom of darkness. And I want to revolutionize the church. And I want to stir up and heal up and grow up everybody who has come into contact with the Spirit of God so that the church of Jesus Christ starts to look like the early church. Nothing wrong with having a nice car. But I hope if you have a, a nice car here, I hope you have an expensive car here, but I hope that your priority has been heaven so much that you've got even more expensive stuff in heaven. Hello? I really think this is an issue. The church of Jesus Christ has preached the gospel of salvation. And we're all excited and we're allowing God to bless us on earth. And we're waiting for our final number to be called so we get to heaven. And God said, no, I brought you into my kingdom so I could bless you on earth so that you could multiply it by paying it forward and blessing everybody around you. Amen. You see, you witnessing to your neighbor, you witnessing to your family, you witnessing to your friends, you loving somebody less fortunate than you, you helping out other people is what tickles God's heart. But sometimes I think that the church is more concerned about tickling the congregants' ears than tickling God's heart. 
I want to tickle God's heart. Hello? I want to make God happy. I want to do the things that puts a smile on God's face. Absolutely. Absolutely. You see, I, I understand. You don't preach uncomfortable messages if your primary concern is to build a big church. Because everybody wants to be comfortable. And so if you're always preaching to push people out of their comfort zone, this ain't the place they're going to feel comfortable. But I have to be true to the calling because I know I'm going to give account. And besides, I'm making sure I have a big account in heaven. No, honestly, honestly. I love you because he loves you. I love you because I love you. Sometimes I get so tired and so worn out, I don't love you as much as he loves you. In fact, most times I don't love you as much as he loves you. In fact, most times I don't even love me as much as he loves me. I'm learning to love me more. That's, that's one of the areas where I, I sit. I fall short. I tend to love everyone else and do everything for everyone else, and I don't do for me. We have to live in balance. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And so some wise, some wise guy among the Pharisees said, well, who's my neighbor if I'm supposed to love him? You know what Jesus said? Your neighbor's the guy you actually hate. How many of you know that verse? Yeah. He said, your neighbor's the guy you actually hate. You see, the Jews didn't like the Samaritans, and the Samaritans didn't like the Jews. And so Jesus, he's God, is making this story to reflect a principle in life. And he says, oh, good question. Who's my neighbor? Your neighbor is the Samaritan. See, that'd be like saying to racist white people, your neighbor is an African-American person. Or a racist black person and saying to them, your neighbor is that white person. Or to the racist everybody else, your neighbor is that Latino person. See, I, I definitely break all the rules to preaching when it comes to church growth. We, we, we cannot be racist, we cannot be prejudiced, and have the love of God in our heart. We cannot, we cannot, we cannot. We cannot see a brother or a sister hurting and ignore them and have the love of God in our heart. It doesn't matter how long our worship session is. We cannot see somebody in need and walk away and have the love of God in our heart. The story of this good Samaritan was that here was a Hebrew who uh, was uh, ganged up on by some thieves. He was beat up. And even a rabbi from the synagogue, a fellow Hebrew, walked by and said, oh, I can't get my hands dirty, and he walked away. And one Hebrew after another came by, and everyone had a good reason. Repeat after me, 
good reason. Do you know that good reasons are never good enough not to do the will of God? How many of you could tell I didn't take this job on to be popular? No, honestly, I do you a disservice if I don't preach the truth. And I don't want a religious church. And we could be contemporary and still be religious. It's not stained glass windows that makes you religious. It's not crucifixes all over the place that makes you religious. It's not long robes that makes you religious. We could have the colored lights, the lasers, even smoke, and we could sing contemporary songs and still be religious. Because to be religious is to know the Word of God and have it in your head and in your heart and then not do it. The Bible says that religion that is undefiled is looking after one another. Amen. Religion that's undefiled. To not be religious is to love the way Jesus would love and to do the things that God would want us to do. Amen. Amen. And so while we're on our way to heaven, how much are we affecting earth? What's your trajectory? If your trajectory is only to get to heaven, you will have no earthly effect. We are called to have an effect on earth. So the Pharisee said to Jesus, well, I can love God and I can love myself, but who's my neighbor? And Jesus said, the guy you hate. Isn't it interesting, isn't it interesting that the people who are off are the people who say, well, who's my neighbor? The Pharisee was off, and he said, well, who's my neighbor? God taps Cain on the shoulder, and he says to Cain, where's your brother? He said, who, me? What are you looking at? Am I my brother's keeper? The answer is yes. Yes. And Christianity without your brother is religion. I want a church of 5,000 people, but I want a church of 5,000 people that are passionate in praise, passionate in worship, passionate in prayer, and passionate in touching the world around us and doing good things, not so that we feel good, but because this is how we advance the kingdom of God. Can I get an amen? Awesome. God is so good. Thank you. Thank you. You know, I'm convinced if I wanted to be, I could be a motivational speaker. In fact, I, I, I'm sure I could travel a circuit and be a lecturer and be a motivational speaker. I'd rather speak the truth. Because the truth will set you free. I, I, I don't want a church filled with hobnob, snobby, arrogant people. I want a church of ordinary folk who are just on fire in love with Jesus. I don't want you to go to church. I want you to be the church. 
you know, earlier I said, greet each other. And then I stopped and I said, do you understand you have the power to bless? If I was, if this was about me, I'd say, no, 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 no. Don't tell them that. You want their attention on you so that they all know you have the power to bless. I don't want you all coming to me. You're going to wear me out. (laughs) You have the power to bless. Christ in you, the hope of glory. This is the new covenant. This is the new testament. These signs will follow them that believe. They will lay hands on the sick. They will speak in new tongues. They'll have dreams. They'll have visions. They'll hear from the Holy Ghost. Come on, church, too many of us are living in this life praying that God will bless us, waiting for our ticket call to get to heaven. That's not quite how Jesus preached the gospel. That's the gospel of blessing and the gospel of salvation, but Jesus preached the gospel of the kingdom of God. And that's what made the early church be so on fire with a passion for Him that they could throw them in the Colosseum and they could watch their fellow Christians be torn apart by a lion and they would line up literally and say, I'm next. Do you know that church history teaches us that the early Christians were so convinced about this concept of being rewarded for serving God that they went to their death singing songs and giving glory to Jesus because they knew that what God could give them was far greater than anything they could get here on earth. The passion comes back into the church when heaven isn't a distant reality. When heaven becomes my total focus and my total reality, I live on earth differently when heaven isn't a long way away, but it is my reality right now. I hope I said something worthwhile. You know, for those who want to hear it, it is good preaching. And for those who don't, it's like, when is he going to shut up? Amen. Amen. Come on, let's stand. Praise God. I want us to be on fire for God. I want our religion, our faith in Christ to matter. I want it to count. I don't want to belong to a club that has the right to then go to special membership in eternity. I want us to be very ordinary people full of the Holy Ghost, caring about everybody around us and trying to make all the difference we can because of Christ in us, the hope of God. Amen. Amen.
If you haven't asked Jesus Christ in your heart, Jesus said there's no options. Everyone is so messed up and everyone is so broken. None of us will see heaven unless we're born again. This life, no matter how good we try to be, it won't build a stairway to heaven. I'm not preaching good works so that you get to heaven. I'm preaching good works because we're on our way to heaven through Jesus Christ. I'm preaching good works because the worker of all that is good lives in us. And if he is the tree of life that's in us, then the fruit that should be coming off of our branches should be good works. Hello? Absolutely. <laughs> and this may not be the ideal way to have church in some people's minds. But I couldn't live with myself if I came here and just preached good sermons and didn't have honest conversations with you. I couldn't respect myself if I preached in a way more to get growth than I preached in a way to make sure you're on solid ground. That's just how I'm wired. We can't play church. We can't play Christianity. There's enough counterfeits and enough fake, and, and I'm not here to decide who's a counterfeit and who's not. I don't want to get in that bandwagon. I see Christians throwing mud and throwing stones and knocking this church and knocking that church. That's not for us. Please don't misinterpret what anything I'm saying here to, to line up like that. That's a bad spirit too. All I know is me and the house God's given me to look after I want to make sure that we are on fire, we're passionate, we're preaching, we're teaching, we're loving, we're weeping with other people, we're caring, that we're doing the things that Jesus would be doing. Where your treasure is, where's your biggest bank account? I'm asking you, where's your biggest bank account? Because if it's here, the spirit of this world has got you. Where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. But if your biggest bank account is in heaven, if that's where your treasure is, that's where your heart's going to be. If you've never asked Jesus Christ in your heart, I'm not asking you to join a religion or to join my church. I'm asking you to get honest with God. It's you and God right now. You must be born again. You must ask Jesus in your heart. And if you've never really done that, pride's not even an issue. When we realize I'm giving up my mess for God, <laughs> why would I let pride keep my hand down or why would I let pride make me say well not right now if you've never asked Jesus in your heart or you need to ask Jesus in your heart today come on raise your hand 
right now. Raise your hand. Say, I want to accept Jesus Christ. I need this Jesus in my life. Come on. I believe the Spirit of God is talking to people here. Young people, going to church isn't enough. Is this Christ in your heart? Sir, you may have heard the gospel a thousand times. Hearing it doesn't make it stick. Getting Jesus in your heart and living with him is what makes it stick. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Praise God. God's good. I'd like challenged anyone to live life here more with the purpose of affecting the kingdom of God. Good. Oh, that, that's what I came to accomplish. Did I make anyone uncomfortable? No. Oh, actually, I was hoping you'd all put your hands up. <laughs> I want the Holy Ghost to make me uncomfortable. Yeah. Too much comfort makes us unhealthy. We need to be pushed out of our comfort zones. Amen. Absolutely. Well, Father, I'm going to take up the offering in just a moment. This is so important. However I delivered this, whether it was right on point or not, I pray that your message will never suffer loss. God, make us the people that Jesus would want to be associated with. Father, I pray, help us to be more like him. Help us to be not different for the sake of being different, but different because we need to be more like Jesus. Work in each and every one of us. And help us to move towards you. And to run after you. In Jesus' name I pray. And everyone said, Amen. 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 Amen.